Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Draft 412 podcast. My name is Joe 412, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we begin, I want to thank our sponsor, iHeartRadio, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. And for those of you who haven't listened to our show before, Draft Nation and Draft 412 is, is a national e-magazine that focuses on all four major sports and their professional drafts. We cover all aspects of player scouting, mock drafts, free agency, salary caps, uh, you name it, we got it. Tonight, I'm here with our illustrious editor-in-chief, John Toth. JT, how you doing this evening, brother? Good, Joe. How you doing, man? Great. Well, we talked about drafts. We talked about mock drafts. Tonight, we're going to talk about offensive tackles in the 2024 draft. Uh, this is a pretty thick class. Uh, the top 10, uh, maybe the top two are are the ones you can't argue against. They're the blue chippers, but everybody else from two to from three to 10, these guys can go in any order at, at all. I mean, I think that there's, this is one of those drafts where you're going to see a lot of both left and right tackles. And some of these guys we're going to talk about tonight at the right tackle position were born to play that position. So yeah. we'll get into that a little bit, but JT, you ready to go on the clock and talk uh, offensive tackles for 2024 draft? I'm ready, man. Tackles are big, big time in the NFL nowadays. Let's talk about them. Well, let's start with uh, a fan favorite, someone here that's uh, sort of local, uh, in Olu Fashanu from Penn State. I think that, you know, you and I have talked about 1-1A and one in this draft between he and, and, and Joe Ald of Notre Dame, and I think Draft 412 has settled on Olu Fashanu as, as the number one tackle available in this draft. Tell us a little bit of what you've seen in Fashanu, not only in this year, uh, but last year, and why you ranked him number one out of all of them. I'm basically... Um... The crazy thing about Fashanu is he came into the season with only eight games played, but they, um, a lot of the experts, including ourselves, we thought that if he came out last year, he could have been, honestly, maybe the first tackle taken. He would have, he would have went up against the Paris Johnsons last year in the, um, in the Broderick Jones. He would have probably found himself somewhere in the first round last year after eight games played. This year he's done well. Um, his size, his football IQ is off the board. Uh, great foot speed. He did have a rough game um, against Ohio State. Um, he had trouble with the power, the uh, the speed rushers, uh, Tui Almalo, and the other other uh, young defensive ends were they were getting the better of him that game. He even admitted to it after the game, but he did come back strong in the Michigan game, uh, even though they lost. Uh, he was a big part of their running game at 164 yards against the the Big Blue. But I I like him. I mean. Uh, you really can't say anything really wrong about him. He gets impatient at times, which a lot of young guys do. He's a taller guy. He, he'll lean or lunge towards a guy instead of waiting for the guy to um, come towards him. But it's not a, it's, it's really not a real bad negative thing. He could step right in next year uh, and, and start for a team on, at left tackle. I have him a little bit over Joe Olt um, as we get into Joe Olt. He's, I mean, I just, he's, I think Vishanu is the perfect tackle in this draft. There's no, weakness in run blocking or weakness in pass blocking. And you'll notice as we go down the list, uh, as we get down towards the the 10th guy, like you, you'll have more guys that aren't good at run blocking or better at pass blocking or, or vice versa. And Fashanu is good at everything. So. Yeah. You know, I see Fashanu in a way as a smaller Jonathan Ogden. Uh, You know, he's a guy that, um, you know, I can see plugging in day one. He doesn't come out until 12 years later and he's on his way to the hall of fame. I mean, the guy you said he has high football IQ. He's he chose to go back to school to get his degree. He didn't have to do that. Uh, But his his family is, 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 you know, academics and they wanted him to do that. And, you know, he's got his head in order. And the fact that a kid can admit that he got 
he didn't play his best game against some of the best talent only shows me that he's self-aware and he's got the intelligence to learn. Uh, but you're right. He's mechanically, he's super sound and I, he's my favorite in this draft. Uh, and I, and I don't think he's going to last <laughs> very long on that board. I think he can, you know, I, I can think of a few names and especially the Washington commanders that might be, you know, looking at him <laughs> at a four or five spot, depending on where they, they finish or, or maybe the New Even York the Bears. Bears. Yeah. There's, just so yeah. many teams that can use a guy like that. He's he's totally plug and play. But you mentioned Joe Alt uh, in a comparison here, and Joe is the one A, big Notre Dame guy. You know he's got uh, you know NFL bloodlines. He's you know clearly is you know he's got this the, the size and uh, the power that you want to see in in this and, and this and our choice of Fashano over him wasn't a denigration at him at all. Uh, but I know you've watched a lot of tape and you you've seen these Notre Dame games over the last couple of years. Tell us a little bit about Joe Alton and why we rank him as 1A. I think what makes him 1A and could be could easily be taking over uh, Fashano is his – he has a nasty side when he plays. Some teams like that in their tackles. He's he's a run-blocking guy that just he, – he plays through the whistle. He's a guy that you don't want to play against. He'll hit you. He's quick off the snap. He's athletic. He's 6'8", 315. Um, he actually does have to add some muscle to that frame. Uh, 315, he's, he's a little on the slender side. Uh, at six eight, um, he he, uh, he he gets stiff at times off the ball, um, but he and he always he's one of them guys that hits you and just uses his body and his his girth. He doesn't really keep his feet moving at times. Uh, he gets away with that against the smaller squads. But um, the games that I watched him this year, he did really well, especially in a run game. Um, you saw um, um, esteem how his is is SMA's year this year in Notre Dame as a running back has been through the roof and that's a lot to do with Joe Alt. Um he's just been manhandling uh the edge rushers and and things for Notre Dame. So he could still be at the number one tackle uh, depending on what a team likes. I, I think Fashan is more of the package because of his he's six six three twenty one. He's he's just built he's he's a brick. He's ready to go. Alt's a little on the slender side for his six eight. He could he could probably go to six eight three thirty five add like 20 pounds of muscle and still be a, um, and still be a stud. But um, his only negative thing really is add a little bit of muscle. And um, he comes off the ball a little stiff at times later in the games. It's like, as the game goes on, he gets a little tired. Um, he's got to work in his stamina a little bit, but other than that, he's, he's, he's going to walk right into, I, I'd be shocked if both of these guys don't find themselves um, on a left tackle starting the season in the NFL. Yeah. He's another guy that, like you said, I mean, I, in the, to use a Steeler reference in Broderick Jones, he might not be a starter day one. He has the ability to, but you know, halfway through the season, I think you're going to sl- see him slide over in the left tackle. And maybe he's, he, he, but he has the ability to be starting day one. You know, I don't think the Steelers did the right thing by Jones. I still think they're playing him out of position, no. you know, but you know, a guy like Alt, wherever he's going to be drafted, is going to be expected to start, especially that high. He can go in the top five. He will be gone by the top 10, you know, for sure. And, you know, I agree with you. I mean, on the, it's hard to say that someone that's 300 pounds is slender, you know, but, you know, but, but when you're six foot eight and you have his build uh, and his size, he's got the wingspan. Those edges are going to have a hard time getting around him yep. uh, and, and, you know, in the NFL. But I think, you know, you're right. He'll, he'll be challenged to put on additional muscle, which will only be to his benefit. And he'll see that day one in an NFL camp. That these guys mm-hmm. are the best of the best, you know, and he's, he's going to have to do that. And it might take him, you know, you know, half a season to, to get there and we'll see, but I don't think it's a hard, 
it, it's not going to be hard for him to put on muscle. I mean, these guys are monsters, right? So, yeah. well, let's move on to number three because I think number three might end up being a stealer. I uh, uh, yeah, Amarius Mims from you know uh, Georgia is a guy who was born to play right tackle. Uh, and I think that, you know, the Steelers are very familiar with another tackle they took last year who's playing a little bit out of position, and maybe he's just keeping it warm for Mims next year. Um, you know, and I think Jones could easily slide back out and left. I think that's a long-term plan with a replacement for, you know, uh, long-term starter Dan Moore uh, in that position. And I think Mims is a guy who um, – you know, he's not going to play on the right or on the left side, but you stick him into the right side and he's plug and play. He's ready to go. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Amarius Mims? I know you've uh, you've had a chance to scout him over the last six months, really looking at, at some of the tape in this year and, of course, last year's uh, film as well. I um, I actually wrote that article about the Steelers, uh, what they their offseason, their offseason draft needs may be. And I like the fact that if you uh, you bookend, why not bookend your offensive line with with two Georgia guys and the. And and Mims is uh, another guy with great football IQ. He's athletic. He's got he's got size too. He's six seven three thirty. He's he's got that build that that Joe Alt needs to put that little bit extra on that frame. But he he's he's a mauler man. He's um the games that I watched him. He's he's um the only negative thing I saw about him is he's a little bit raw in his pass blocking. He's he's a he's a he's a grinder, a mauler on the run game. But um his footwork and his balance need a little bit of work. Um he could be overtaken by the speed rush that's why i think he projects as a right uh a right end because um he's not going to deal with the he's not, he's not going to deal with the um the best of the best on on the at the right tackle usually you don't get the uh the, the, the go-to pass rusher on that side so i i, I like him man i think um with his size and his football iq he's, he's, he's been part of a great line in georgia f- for his four years and um his IQ, he's, he's 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 like the leader of the line. Him and uh, Van Pran, the the center, they've been they they've been really high. The coaches on both of them saying how that they 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 basically run the line together. And I, I like him. I think if a team gets him mid first round, which I think will be there, um, and and right now we're getting into that range like we talked about between three and ten right now. I wouldn't be shocked if any of these ten go in the first round, Joe. Being honest, but I wouldn't be shocked if one drops to the third round, put it that way. From this point on, it, they're that close together from, from here on out. The first two are, they should be stapled in the top 10. But other than that, um, I, I like Mims. I mean, if, if a team needs a right tackle, I wouldn't expect him to play left tackle in the NFL. I don't think he's got the um, the footwork and just uh, he's just a little bit raw with the pass rush. But I, I think the uh, football IQ and his, his athleticism and his hands, he's really good with the hands. He's one of them guys that, when he comes off the ball, he hits that, that initial punch. He gets you in the chest, and he, he basically has control of you from that point on. So I I, I like him. I like him, Marius Mims. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, three and four are interchangeable. There's another guy here I can easily see wearing a Steeler uniform, and that's in J.C. Latham. And, and, I, and you know, from Alabama's perspective, that's another, you know, run-happy team, a guy who's a, a veteran who comes from a, a pedigree, a, a blue-chip organization. And, you know, I, I – you know, these guys, like I said, they're kind of, they start to get interchangeable at this point. Uh, another guy that can play right tackle for you for the next 10 years. Uh, and one of these two guys are going to be right around that Steeler range. And I know that we're, it's not a fate of complete, but knowing, I mean, let, let's face it, the Steelers no, still need to do a lot to protect Kenny Pickett and do something on that line next year. It only makes sense that they might look for another offensive tackle 
or, you know, in, in the interior guys you can get later in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that they can address this. And again, you know, Georgia's a favorable program, a place that they've looked for guys in the past. Andy Whitehall coming over from Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia's love for Georgia players. Uh, and uh, Alabama players, you know, same way for for them over in Baltimore. Uh, but the Steelers will be picking before Baltimore here. So I think we'll be, mm-hmm. you know, one of these two guys will still be there. And where we're sitting today, I think that one of these two guys are wearing a Steelers uniform next year. Tell us a little bit about J.C. Latham. Another guy that I really like, I think he gets lost in that shuffle sometimes because Alabama just has so many NFL draft prospects that you forget that, hey, they got this. They got this tackle that could play some football. He's 6'6", 326. Um, he's one of them guys that he's so mechanical. Um, his hand placement, the way he when he goes when he drops back into pass coverage, he can he just has the he's probably got the best mechanics in the draft. Um, just the way he uses his hands, the way he he uh, understands angles. He's another guy with a little bit of nastiness too. His nastiness is is a thing that I like. Um, I sort of like that in my tackles. Um, he just has this 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 edge to him. He'll he'll hit you after the whim. I mean, he'll t- he'll take care of the play till after the whistle when the whistle does blow. And he's just he's a guy that plays hard. Um, little bit of balance issues. He struggles in space sometimes. He's a guy that maybe might not be as good as um, some of these guys even behind him in space, like working the second level. Um, so he's that's like screen passes, stuff like that, setting that up. He's a little slow getting out in front of there, but. Other than that, I mean, he's another guy you could plug and play him uh, at, at the right tackle. And if you're a team that is in Pittsburgh, I mean, he could he could seriously probably could play uh, left tackle for you as well. He's um he's athletic enough. Um, there's really not much difference between him and Mims, honestly. I mean, like I said, Mims just got the gets gets more of a um, coach's praise for his football IQ, but Latham is a guy that. Uh, between his hands and the way he just plays through the whistle, teams will teams will fall in love with him. He'll, I would say the four, the first four that we named are pretty close to being a guarantee in the first round, first round picks. Yeah, I agree. I think all four of those guys go in round one, and I think there's a fifth guy that might sneak in by his play this year, and that's Talisi Fuaga from Oregon State. This is a big wide-bodied guy who has really played himself into a first-round conversation uh, for this year. And, look, he doesn't get the spotlight. He plays for the for, or Oregon State. You know, he, he, you're not going to see him as much as you're going to see some of these other guys. When I name Penn State and I name Alabama and Georgia and Notre Dame, you see them every weekend. Oregon State, you got to stay up late much time, those weekends and, and watch him. But this is a guy who, you know, I, you know, over the course of the season – has, you know, you've even heard him say, you know, by some pundits that he might be the number three guy off the board. I've heard you know, this you. is a guy that I see him going at the end of the, this is, you know, I've seen mock drafts with him going to the Bengals and stuff like that and sliding into the first round there. Tell us about a little bit about Felice Luaga and, and, and what you've seen when you, when you've looked at his film. Now he's definitely the highest, um, he's the highest riser out of the tackles right now. I mean, I'd say about a month and a half, two months ago, he probably wouldn't have been, he probably would have been outside the top 10. Um, he's been he's been phenomenal in, in Oregon State's uh, renaissance this year. He's pancake. I watched him a couple weeks ago in the pancake blocks that he was doing, coming off the edge and like pulling and he's out ahead of the ball. He's he's athletic for a big guy. He's six six three thirty four. I mean, he's a big boy. Um, he's got the demeanor too. He's a guy that just puts his head down and doesn't care. He's na- he's a nasty kind of player. Um, good footwork. He he plays less than his three thirty four uh, frame. He, he he 
very much athletic for his size. Pass blocking, this is where we're starting to get into guys that have some issues. Pass blocking is a little rough. Um, that's going to be the one thing he has to work on a little bit. Um, Oregon State was running the ball when I was watching a couple of weeks ago for the most part, and he just was a mauler in that. But he he's a guy that, he's another tall guy that lunges. Uh, you see that a lot, these young kids that um, they get impatient. They don't wait for the speed rush to come to them. They want to go out and meet the guy out front, and they get off balance a little bit. But that's something that could be fixed. He's got all the tools. Um, I think when we did the uh, profile, when we uh, we uh, compared him to Elijah Vera Tucker, um, which makes a lot a little bit of sense. A guy from USC, he had the same kind of build, the same kind of nastiness. So I like him. I mean, I, I'd have no issue if he went in the late in the first. I, I think he could go late first, but tell well, you Vera Tucker did too. He he slipped yep. into the first round there, yeah, so you know it, it might be. I mean, look, it's it's a position where. Everybody needs tackles. Uh, it's it's just as important as it is edge rusher. We talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. you know, whether we're one of our live podcasts or one of our draft day events. Um, you know, there are four positions that are valued in the pros, and it's you've got cor- shutdown corner, you've got you know franchise quarterback, you got edge rusher, and and you've got wow, left tackles. You can never ever run out of those guys. Those are the guys you see go in the first round. If someone might take a flyer at him. Uh, you know, late in the first round. If he's, you know, if he falls in the second round, there's a value pick right there. And the next guy on our list at number six is another one of these guys. There's a value pick. He, just like Fuaga, has been rising up boards all year long. I don't think he makes it in. The, I think we just talked about everybody that would or could, you know, end up in the first round. Um, but you know, I, I think in Jordan Morgan from Arizona, we see a guy here that has been a fast riser. He, I think he could. You know, before the season, I think you and I were talking fourth or fifth round. I can see this guy easily going third and maybe coming in somewhere in, in you know, I hate to say it, but maybe he sneaks up into the second round too. I mean, this is one of these guys that have really done well for himself by his play this year. He was he was actually this was the hardest when I was doing this this list, the hardest was here five and six, because I um I like Fuega a lot. And I like Morgan a lot. I mean, I did the I did the Jordan Morgan uh profile early in the year and and you watch tape on him. Um, it, the angles he uses when run blocking, just the way he gets out in front of the plays and um, his footwork. He, he's another guy that gets praised. Um, I don't know if a guy has football IQ or not, but I, I read about what the coaches say, and that's when I, I, I'll, I'll report it. And he's another guy that the coaches said this guy's football IQ is to the roof. Um, in fact, I believe that at Arizona he was calling, uh, making the pretty much calling the plays, not the Sunday, the younger center. He was calling out the blitz packages and stuff. Um, very athletic. Um, he's another one of them guys, though. He's mechanical, is a little bit weaker than the others. Like he's a guy that uses a, he he relies on his athleticism more than knowing you know the right way to use your hands. And he's not very mechanical. He's a little bit sloppy with his blocks. He um he has a habit sometimes too, and this happens every once in a while. You see a guy with their he puts his head down at times and loses track of where where the running backs running up behind them or, or what's going on with the, with the defense coming. He's um, he just has a habit of that, which could be broke as well. And his upper body strength for being six six three twenty, he's not a, he's not a mover. He's not a guy that's going to hit you and move you. So this is where we're starting to see a little bit. This is where you're starting to see that mid second to third run uh, prospects now come in. But I mean, a guy that you can work with and down the road, I'd have, I'd have, I see no issue with him ever being a, becoming a starter in the NFL. You know, number seven on our list is a guy, like you said, you know, you're talking second, third round guy. I think this guy might have a higher grade if he played somewhere other than Houston. And then that's Patrick Paul. Patrick Paul 
played in a really great system. Uh, but I think he he sometimes gets passed over in these discussions because he plays in the AAC. Uh, you know, if you put him on Michigan State, or you put him on Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, this guy, you know, I think, uh, you know, might have a little bit more attention. Now, I say that knowing that he's a bit of a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. And I yep. think that's just based on, you know, the resume, what we've seen at Houston. And, and you know, many of uh, of his years was were, was under Dana Holgerson and the stuff that you saw down there before Holgerson left. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because I think he's got the talent. He's definitely got the size. And if he could figure out that that, you know, run blocking stuff, this guy can – could 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 be higher, but I think he'll go, like you said, probably somewhere in the second and third round. Tell our listeners a little bit about Patrick Paul. Yeah, you're right. He's he's the first prospect that we're going to go the opposite way. He's a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. And if you watch film of him, he does a really good job of protecting the edge. When it, um, the stuff that I remember watching on on Patrick Paul was when a guy was blitzing around the edge. He does a good job of just knowing how to push him through to push him away from the pocket where the quarterback has a has an avenue to walk, to step up, and he, he's very good at that. He's very um, another athletic guy, um, great footwork, knee bend. He does he has everything you want in a pass blocker. He's got the knee bend. He's got the he, he uh has that kick slide coming out of his of his back pedal when he's when he's going into his um pass pass protection. He's very good at there. His run blocking's rough. Uh, when he run blocks, he seems to have a little bit higher of a pad level, which the, the defender can get uh, leverage underneath him and. And um, that's something he's going to have to work on. And he's slow. He's slower off the snap. And I think that has something to do with why his run blocking is bad, but his pass blocking is good. He's slow off the snap, which you can be a little bit slower and be good as a pass protector, but you can't do that as a, as a run blocker. And he's, he's, he struggles with, with that part of it. And that's going to be another schematic thing where he's going to go to a team and they're going to realize, okay, we've got to work on this guy's run blocking. But, hey, the NFL nowadays, he might go to a team that just – appreciates what he does right now and he steps right in so or if he's, yeah you're right if he goes into the right system you know i think this guy will be heralded as a steal in the second or third round uh more than likely the third than the second but i but i, I agree with you i think there's a little bit of work to be done there uh, but you can't fault his pass protection the guy is on point for that number eight on our list is the opposite you're talking graham barton from duke here's a guy who is a great run blocker and needs a little bit of time seasoning uh, and a little bit of coaching up uh, on on the pass protection side, and again, that, some of that might just be a result of the system that he was used to playing in, uh, say for this past year with Riley Leonard and and Elko and the whole new coaching uh, staff there. But you know, ultimately, you know, Graham Barton's another guy that we plan to see off the board by the end of day two, early day yeah. three, that kind of stuff. Tell us a little bit about Graham Barton and what you've seen in him playing with Duke this year. Well, Joe, he's a Duke player, so it was hard not to enter the football IQ for him. If you're a Duke player and don't have football IQ, then I, I, I have a, I feel bad for you. Um, but he does, he has the football IQ. He's, he's a, he's been on the, on the line for four years now. Um, he's a high motor. He's a run blocker with, um, just has a lot of, um, he has a lot of skill. I mean, he's, um, he made a uh, second team All ACC this year as a tackle. He's, he's a guy that has a lot of. He has a lot of upside. Um, he's a guy that you're going to have to work with. You already talked about that with the pass blocking. He's another guy that projects to me as a, as a uh, right tackle. He's a little bit smaller. He's 6'5", 315. So he's the smallest guy pretty much that we've talked about um, so far in this list. Um, guy that needs a little bit of work, but as a third or fourth run pick, I mean, you, you can't go wrong here. He's a guy that you can plug in as a right tackle, as a depth guy for the first couple of years. And um, 
other than that, I mean, like I said, you work on the pass blocking part of it. He's he's basically he's basically ready to go, but he just needs a little bit a little bit of work there. And and um, as a third fourth round pick, you're getting a guy that has some knowledge on the line, and um, you can't go wrong with uh, Graham Barton in the third or fourth round. So we go from one school that's blue and white on the East Coast to one school that's blue and white on the other side. Not necessarily West Coast, but we're getting pretty close. Uh, and that's in BYU's tackle, Kingsley Suomataya. And uh, this is a guy who transferred from Oregon to go to BYU. Uh, and a lot of folks might have questioned why he was doing that. But when he got to BYU, he blew up and blossomed into a player here. I'm not sure that with Oregon's... Um, kind of quirky offense that you might have seen that though they've got a history of putting a, a you know uh, tackles and linemen in the league more recently Panay Sewell and, and the stuff that they've done with the Sewell brothers up there but ultimately this is a guy that I think is surprising uh, in this past season with his play and uh, is somebody that I can see going in you know a, a day two early day three. Joe this is a guy that I actually when I did this list and I, I went over it a couple of times he's a guy that I could have hired. Um, if you're, I read a different bunch of different people what they think and and what I what I seen too as well is he he had a really good year, and he he's up and coming. I mean he's he's a guy that some teams are, you know you're seeing these some of these mock drafts are hysterical, but I'm seeing some mock drafts where he he's he's late in the second round, early third, but a couple um, NFL execs that I've heard I heard that they um they've been. Uh, flocking to the BYU games just to watch him. Um, he, he's like a freak. He's one of them guys that was on the uh, the freak list. Um, he's, he's powerful for his size, six six three, only three fifteen, but he's powerful. He's got length. He's got footwork. Um, he's another pass blocker, real good pass blocker. Struggles a little bit with the run blocking, but it isn't terrible with the run blocking. Just more of a negative. And he's a guy that gets to the second level with his athleticism. So um, to me, he would be. Uh, if you had if you had a good left tackle right now, he'd be a guy that I would love to pair with on a right tackle with his athleticism. If you're a team that even like Pittsburgh, a team that likes to run and, and do things like that or, or spread the ball out with screens and that he's a guy that has the athleticism to um to do the most with that. So I I like him. I think I think honestly he could rise. He could be where we have Jordan Morgan. I wouldn't be shocked if like something like that flipped if he was up in that area and Morgan came down. Um, he definitely is an up and comer, and and like we always talk about, me and you, we combine for a guy with freaky ability and speed. He can turn it on right there, and all of a sudden um, becomes a you know a second round pick. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And to round out our top ten, uh, we've got a guy from a blue blood program in Oklahoma, and Tyler Guyton. Uh, and I know that uh, we mentioned earlier, I was making fun out of some of these guys being born to be right tackles. I think this is a guy that will oh, definitely be a right tackle in, in the league. Um, you know, and, and Oklahoma puts these kind of guys in the league every single year. Uh, and I don't see this guy making it out of round three and it wouldn't surprise me if he's in round two, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about Tyler Guyton and what you see in his skill set. Uh, six, seven, three twenty-eight. He is the project of these 10. He's the project. He's raw, more of a work in progress. Um, he gets, He's, he's, he has a high ceiling, and it's based on his athleticism. He's total athlete, uh, second-level guy. He's another one of them guys that uh, once he strikes his initial punch and beats you to the uh, original contact, he's he's got you. He's got control of you. Um, his mechanics are not there yet. Like I said, he's raw, um, and he loses his base real easy. Um, he's just one of them guys. He just wants to go out and 
he wants to get to that second level. He's one of them guys that want to hit you and and move and go to the next guy and hit the next guy. And 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 like you said, that's a right. That's more of a right tackles mentality because at left tackle you're going to be you're going to be honing in against a uh, a beast every every Sunday. You're not about to hit a guy and move. You're going to be battling for the whole time. So he is a right tackle in the future. He is the hot out of the last three or four guys we mentioned. He is the highest ceiling, but he should go a little bit lower because you're not going to know exactly what you're going to get. He's a little bit raw. But you could have a team like like you just said. You could have a team in that second round, like the Chiefs or somebody, or team picking late in the second. It's like, hey, we got what we you know we, we're basically solid what we need right now. Let's let's just take a chance on this guy. And two years on the road, we could have a a future star on the tackle. Well, JT, we finished our offensive tackle list top ten. Now we'll do a review of these things uh, after the season and once we get through the combine. But for now, I think you know these top ten are, are what Draft Four One Two is putting out there on the board. Anything before we wind up, we have about a minute left here. The one thing that did surprise me about this list uh, was the fact that we didn't see anybody that we could say like Peter Skaronsky last year oh, as yeah. like, well, this guy, we can also kick inside because he has short arms that's, or that's any true. of that kind of stuff. The, maybe, maybe Graham Barton is a guy, uh, but these guys, I, the top 10, they look like they're made for tackle right or left. Yep. You know, they've got length, they've got, uh, wingspan, they've got size. I don't think any of these guys are going to be, you know, good moves to the interior where Skaronsky was, hey, you know, you could be a, a, a great starter at, at left tackle, but if we put you in the middle, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame as a guard. Definitely. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, even though it's premature, uh, you know, I, do you see anybody on this list that you think can kick inside of the interior? I think Graham Barton has potential to do that. Uh, he's a little bit shorter. Uh, you don't want one of your six, seven, six, eight guys, of course. So he's six five. He's got the he's got the the body, the high motor. He's a run blocker. So I could see him getting getting moved into the uh, in, internal part. And I'm going to just mention one guy that wasn't made this that didn't make this list. That's a a teammate of somebody on here is Blake Fisher from um, Notre Dame. Um, is a he's been playing right tackle, of course, because of Joe Alt. But he's another guy that um. That don't be shocked if he if he moves up here and and local wise I just want to get it out there that uh, Mac and Scalvis is going pro now so uh, from Pitt so we have him like in the fifth or sixth round. It's all you Pitt fans out there. Um, me and you weren't real high on him this year as as we we watched some games. I know he got hurt in the middle of the year, but looked a little slow and sluggish coming off the line. But I think he uh, he has, still has the potential to be a, a decent right tackle in the NFL. Yeah, I think that uh, Pitt fans are disappointed that he left uh, and decided to to enter the draft. And I think that, um, you know, he's going to be a, a mid to late third day guy um, just based on the injury, not being able to play this year. And like you said, I'm not sure he's a, a guy that's going to wow people at the combine or wow people at his pro day. I think he'll be a solid contributor, likely reserve guy. Maybe he works his way into a starting role, but, you know, he's got a lot to prove. And Joe, I don't think we know the extent of his injury. I don't even know if he'll be able to perform at the combine or his yeah. or his senior day. Which I mean, that, that ain't gonna help him out either. But um, I, I think what you're gonna see going forward with our top tens is there's gonna be a lot of guards and centers that are interchangeable this year. Where you know it ain't, it ain't gonna be as many tackles moving in. It's gonna see a lot more um, centers and guards that can that are projectable at either position. Which um, I know we look at Pittsburgh a lot, but looking at a team like the Steelers, I would love to have a guy that could play center and guard and, and move him around. And, you know, we get to that point. So, or you might see one in the second or third round next year. 
That's true. <laughs> That's true, man. That's true. Well, JT, thanks again for being, uh, you know, a co-host here this evening. And a big thanks again to our sponsor, iHeartRadio, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. And remember, while Draft 412's podcast might be off the air, we're always on the clock for you. Thanks again, JT. Thank you, Joe. Have a good night, guys.